I once played a uh, poorly made first person shooter that was based on Chex Mix. <laughs> I can totally see you doing that. <laughs> you send like two UPCs away and you get it. It was called like Chex Commander. Look it up. It was kind of fun. Uh-huh, it's the Doom to Fail podcast, and that is our new catchphrase, uh-huh. My name is Tim Dobbs, and I am a cuddly teddy bear. And with me, as always, through this crazy do-hick-a-what's-it, we, we call the internet. She is a very artistic photographer, Catherine Cogart. Snap, 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 snap. It's good to be here, Tim. See how artistic that is? She doesn't even have a camera. So, as regular listeners of this show know, that we have a lot of series, and we step through the series, and dance, and shimmy, and jive. It's getting more and more descriptive each week. At any rate, this time, in particular, we're doing one of our favorites, Toy Inventors. Age seven in a kind of zen poor. I don't have a dollar, but a cent short. I'm saving up for the fun that's in store. It's all thanks to Toy Inventors. Yes, that's right. Toy Inventors. And this week particularly, Catherine, could you fill us in on what we're talking about? Yeah, we're talking about toy franchises. Oh, interesting. This is sort of the culmination of... Lots of people asking me or you suggesting a series that's just something that happened in the 80s, like Power Rangers or Pokemon or Beanie Babies or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or G.I. Joes or Cabbage Patch Kids. Ugh. A lot of these just sort of have the same story, so I thought let's just knock them out all at once. Yeah, the 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 substance is different, but the basic invention process is pretty pretty straightforward. It's true. All right, so you had a uh, interesting framework that you wanted to put around this show. Am I right? Yes, that's true. I wanted to discuss how you, Tim, or listeners at home, could hypothetically start your own franchise of toys. Um, so mm. listeners at home, get your thinking caps on. And Tim, also get that thinking cap on. I can actually see you, so. Uh, hang on. I'm going to give you a minute. I've got it here. It's not in this drawer. It's, uh... Uh, uh, hmm. Did you lose your thinking cap again? I got you that for Christmas. You know, I never use it. And so it's just easy <laughs> to misplace. <laughs> Did you re-gift it? I just... Uh... <laughs> um... Uh-huh, yeah. Okay, okay, let's move on. It just here. looked so nice on... I don't think I have the right kind of head for it. Uh-huh, yeah. No, of course you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it was very sweet of you. Um, sure it was. You clearly appreciated it. All right, so without thinking caps, <laughs> we're going to start with the concepts. This is the first step. And this can be just literally anything. It can be a story... 
For example, um, Xavier Roberts did some self-insertion when he invented the Cabbage Patch Kids, and he created Xavier Roberts, the 10-year-old boy, who discovered the Cabbage Patch Kids by following a buddy bee behind a waterfall into a magical valley where he found the Cabbage Patch Babies being born to keep them from falling into the clutches of the evil Lavender McDade and being enslaved in her gold mine, he sought to get them adopted into the homes uh, of loving families outside of Montiana. Uh, okay, <laughs> like, 12 questions. Um, <laughs> is a bunny bee a mixture of a bunny and a bee? Is it just like a bee that hops? It's essentially like a fairy, as I understand. An inseminating fairy. Uh, okay. Um, next, uh, Lavender McDade. Yes. Gotcha. <laughs> Clearly someone who beat up Xavier Roberts in high school. Mm. And it was a lady, too. Mm -hmm. It's rough. It's rough. Oh, yeah. For some reason, I was thinking he was 10 years old when he came up with this, but probably not, right? No. Though it does sound maybe. like something a 10-year-old would come up with. Yeah, maybe he came up with it in, like, in a journal or something, and then, and then was like, eh, I have nothing <laughs> else to do. I guess I'll start a toy around this. Uh, okay, so the... Real question, though. Xavier Roberts, did he work for... I don't remember who made Cabbage Patch, but did he work for a toy company? Or did he just, like, pitch it to somebody? Or No, like a lot of these guys, he had the idea, and then his idea was later bought by a toy company. And then that toy company was bought, or the idea was bought from by that toy company from another toy company. Um, there's, like, all these franchises kind of get passed along through all sorts of different toy companies. You know what I'm saying? Huh. Yeah, so it's, it's you know, there's always sort of a, a, a kook who just has this, like, little idea and goes, oh, I'll do something weird. And, you know, normally, <laughs> in today's day and age, you would just sell it on Etsy or something. And, <laughs> but the, the process then was more like, uh, just someone sells it and then from then on, it's it's pure business. It's just people buying and selling like it's stocks or something. Exactly, exactly. Um, the other example I want to point out is Satoshi Tajiri, who was the inventor of Pokemon, was really into insect collecting, and that's how he came up with the concept for Pokemon. He just added in battling, essentially, and training. I, I, I bet he battled them. <laughs> like he just had them on pins and was like, oh, "I'll get you, Beetle! Oh no, butterfly!" <laughs> okay, maybe uh. he added in training. <laughs> it's fun to be a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure that's trademarked, Tim. I'd watch yourself there. Oh, it's, uh... Childhood itself is trademarked. Every, well, yeah, after childmark, you have to pay dues to some greater corporation. That's why they're making me work. Of course. <laughs> All coming together. <laughs> no, 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 no. You got to have the childhood for... However, you know, for twelve years, you know, you now have to pay that off for the rest of your life. <laughs> you should have told me this ahead of time. <laughs> I would have just died. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Totally not worth it. Just forget it. No, <laughs> I say skip the whole thing. So, so you're telling me, thinking cap or not, I have to come up with some kind of, uh, just, just. Something now. I do mean, it. just a nut. Yeah. Right? Okay. Um. And th this is to be a line of of toys, right? This is a brand. 
not just a single toy. Yes. Uh, that's another big difference. We're not just doing, it's not just like, buy the X. It's like, X, Y, and Z, the coolest alphabet toys ever. You know? <laughs> that's true. That's a good point. Um, okay. They're office supplies that live a secret life when uh, the people who run the office are out of there. It's kind of like Toy Story, but more boring. <laughs> Yeah, okay. The paper clips are like the monkeys, the barrel of monkeys. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> um I don't know who would I guess the ruler uh would probably be sort of the head. The ruler, so to speak. A wink. Oh, I like that. He's Woody and then uh Mr. Uh, automatic pencil sharpener comes in, Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> He's very high tech. <laughs> what? Is this wait? Is this just a direct ripoff? Is this? I think this is a different process altogether. <laughs> Maybe next month should be ripoff franchises. <laughs> I, I want to work the scissors in there somehow. I always, uh, you know, believe it or not, this is actually a lot like uh, how how I imagine Satoshi Tajiri did with insect collecting, where it's like when I was a kid and I didn't actually have toys with me, <laughs> but I had things like. Pencils or like scissors or something like scissors do cool things and you can make cool shapes with them and really use your imagination. <laughs> they're a real loose cannon, those scissors. <laughs> or maybe they're a spaceship. I don't know. I envision the scissors as being like the, uh, what's Buzz Lightyear's arch nemesis? They're definitely a villain of sorts. Zerg. Commander Zerg. Commander Zerg. Mm. Or scissors I are think they're misunderstood. Misunderstood? I believe the scissors are misunderstood. Eh, maybe. Maybe the T-Rex. Mm -hmm. Powerful, but <laughs> little control. <laughs> All right. So that's the that's the nut of it. And uh, if you come back in a moment, we will talk to you about how do you implement our crazy space scissor idea. Back in a moment. Doom to Fail Podcast. Okay, that's a good idea. I'm going to pack. Let's go. Ten shirts, nine skirts, eight pairs of pants, seventy kilos. Uh, hey, we're back. Doing the Fail Podcast. We're talking about how do you, dear listener, make a toy franchise of your very own. This is the second week in a row, for those of you keeping track, in which we've promised to make you very rich. Exciting. Okay, so step one was just a concept. You just need a nut of an idea. What's step two, Catherine? Step two is to decide on a medium. So, for example, Beanie Babies were understuffed with crazy cheap stuffing, just beans, and the real premium is just to make sure that they're soft. And what this does is it makes them very, very affordable, so it's easy to just buy a ton of them. Huh. For some reason, I assume soft things are expensive, but that's that can't be right, right? <laughs> Synthetics are quite cheap. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm just thinking... You know, I get all my fabrics from the Far East shipped over on Campbell through the Silk Road. Right. So, boy, pricey. 
There was a whole commercial where Conan O'Brien did that, wasn't there? That's true. How about that Conan O'Brien guy? He seems nice. <laughs> uh, moving on. G.I. <laughs> Joe, which was marketed as America's movable fighting man, had to be able to move, right? Just to keep up with the actual tagline. Um, so you have all these joints and... <laughs> Wait, you don't think the marketing came first on that, do you? That would be pretty funny. They're like, ah, the marketers will figure it out. Engineering can handle it at the end. <laughs> I mean, I think dolls had the technology, but they weren't allowed to call it dolls. This is actually the origin of the term action figure. Um, hmm. So it wasn't really like a technology issue. Uh, it was more like... Uh, but, go ahead. So what, was G.I. Joe like legitimately a doll? I, you know, I never had a G.I. Joe or thought much about it. Uh... Like, it was actually a doll? Like, just straight up a cloth doll? Or I mean, did it have... G.I. Joe had cloth clothing um, and a hard plastic body. The thing is, is that it was never called a doll. Never once. Never, ever, mm. ever. Never. You would get fired if you said doll. Okay. I see here in your notes that you, you said that he has a Hasbro mark on his right buttock, and I wonder why you decided that needed to be called out. Well, I think it's interesting that because you can't trademark the human form, they had to do some weird things to make sure that no one would um, copy them. So, yeah, there's the Hasbro mark on the right buttock, but there's also the fingernail on the wrong side of the right thumb. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. Wow. I like to think that the the story behind that is that G.I. Joes are actually, like, genetically cloned government drones. That makes sense. Yeah, that and they have like a mistake. Sense. Yeah. Well, it also explains why it seems like I've always been confused with GI Joe because it's like supposed to be a like special unit of the military or something. Like I thought it was a guy, but then all of a sudden there's like 35 guys in that cartoon series. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Wait, did you know I oh, learned God, this? There was a movie, wasn't there? GI stands for government issued government issued joe somehow i didn't know that that's interesting yeah yes he is government issued a government issued joe hmm. so what's your medium tim uh medium this is tricky because really i would be perfectly fine just playing with the office supplies but i guess that won't work no those are dangerous <laughs> not well, mostly true. Um, what, uh... I mean, we're talking about, like, actual materials here, right? Like, what what is this stuff going to be made out of on a practical level? Like, what's the best way to make it, right? Yeah. Because sure. the medium is a toy, I guess is what I want to say. Yeah. And unfortunately, I picked something that is already a small everyday object. Well, I guess... Hmm. Okay, so you make it all out of plastic and no sharp edges. <laughs> so they're even less useful than safety scissors. <laughs> and they are magnetic in specific points. 
Because that allows you to sort of assemble them into things. The pencils can get together and form a bigger pencil. Oh, like Power um, Rangers, you assemble the Power Rangers into like a bigger or like a transformer. Sure, yeah. Or uh, the paper clips can all ride on the ruler. You know, I've just... I've <laughs> Wait, this is going to take a little more... Uh, a little more working out, but it's not bad. <laughs> Uh, I think we'll flesh that out in the next step here. <laughs> so yeah, uh, all right. we got some here, I think, with the paper clips all riding on the ruler. <laughs> uh, the next thing we're going to do is find a fan base. Uh, so this is finding like who's going to be interested, what kind of people are interested, or children are interested in buying your toy, but also how are you going to convince them to buy your toy? Um, so for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they started with just comic book nerds because they had a comic book series. Um, and they actually moved to D&D nerds with pen and paper RPGs after that. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Wait, there was a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle RPG? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And for those who are interested in learning more about D&D, you can listen to our Gary Gygax D&D episode, which was, I think it was like two months ago. It's one of our most ago. popular. It's, yeah. yeah, it's a good episode. Anyhow. So, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so they finally, both of those were sort of kind of for like teenagers and adults, and they finally moved to uh, a television series that was actually created specifically to support a line of action figures for children to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the... Wait, okay. I, I don't know the genesis of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It started as a comic book. Right. Then became a pen and paper RPG. Mm-hmm. Then a TV series, at which point they synergized and released a line of action figures right around the same time as the TV series. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Wow. I didn't know that. Huh. Uh, The thing about all this, so we're talking about uh, building a fan base. A lot of this stuff, I would actually, I mean, I guess it's sort of a blurry line, or maybe it's the same thing, but I would say this is branding. This is essentially, let's elevate us away from the medium we just decided on and turn it into a concept that then can be applied to any medium. Yeah, I suppose that's fair. Um, But I think it's crucial to find a particular medium that you can use to sell the toy. Does Mm. that make sense? Like, for example, the uh, comic books weren't going to sell the toy. The D&D pen and paper RPG isn't going to sell the toy. Um, they needed the television oh, series to sell it. That's true. Does D&D pen and paper RPG sell anything? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> it does, okay. But then... I buy that, but so... Are we are we trying to get that the toy is the real moneymaker? Everything else is sort of a loss leader? It's just yeah. every every other part of this is a marketing, and toys are basically dirt cheap to make because you make them in China mm-hmm. and ship them over on giant container ships, mm-hmm. and kids pay way too much for them because you've got them all pumped up by pouring your money into the Saturday morning kids show. Exactly. Is that right? That's how it works. Aha! Right. So, we've got toys, then, uh, my my silly magnet things, and and I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to come up with... Uh, Ways to, to sort of advertise for that almost. Mm-hmm. Okay, so since we are in the internet age, I don't think we need a Saturday morning cartoon. I think we need a cheaply made, 
online first person game. Um, we need a fan driven wiki. Uh, you know, we'll lay all the groundwork and then sort of seed it and, and hopefully others will come. And, uh, the last thing we're going to do is a series of YouTube clips. Kids love YouTube clips. <laughs> they do. All right. All right. We're going someplace here. We are. Okay. And okay. we will go more places when we're back in a moment on the Doom to Fail podcast. podcast and we're talking about building a franchise so what is the next step the last step was building a fan base right so where do we go from here so this step you don't really actually have any control over tim but maybe we can speculate a little bit um i'm such a control freak (laughs) this step is all about building a mythology because tim you're Mm -hmm. not just in this for the money you want to create like a huge cultural touchstone right tim Right, Clearly, Tim? you don't know me. Right, Tim. <laughs> I I find that difficult to believe that the makers of uh, Cabbage Patch Kids weren't really thinking like the mythology will be good because then we'll make more money. <laughs> no, the mythology for Cabbage Patch Kids was actually really, really awful. <laughs> um, it, there was an urban legend, and here's the mythology here: that kids who sent their Cabbage Patch Kids back to the factory to get repaired were sent back death certificates. Um, there's also rumors of CPKs in coffins being sent back to children or citations for child abuse. Like, oh, like they would send the kid? Like, like you weren't nice to this, come on. You, yes. We're taking this Cabbage Patch kid into custody. Yes. Wow. How awful is that? Uh, but it was an urban legend. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not true. real, right? Yeah, it's not true at all. Okay. Um, I do like the idea of some people being super bored at work and being like, eh, let's just start fucking with it. <laughs> um, the other excellent urban legend here is that uh, CPKs are patterned after mentally disabled children to accustom us to their appearance. Um, so it's like a social project. Uh, by who? Uh, by Xavier Roberts. No, but I mean... It- why does Xavier Roberts have a have a stake in customing customizing people to the appearance of socially uh, mentally disabled children? Do urban legends like have a lot of logical backing? <laughs> I don't know. This is why I never get into it because I uh, ask questions like this and they get bored with me. Uh, but I really like this detail of the urban legend. Possibly this occurred because there were there would be so many more mentally disabled children after a thermonuclear war so we have to get used to this <laughs> ah! 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 
I guess it was the Cold War. Um, <laughs> Is that the best thing you've ever heard? That's that's the silliest thing, too. They're just like, hey, there's got to be a thermonuclear war. Uh, to prepare, I guess we'll just kind of get used to how things will look. Like, there's no... <laughs> let's try to avoid it. Or, or let's build bomb shelters. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely a mythology around that. Yeah, a more successful mythology. This is actually something that completely launched Pokemon from like, oh, this is a toy to like, this is a thing that we are going to remember for decades and decades and make parodies of forever. Pokemon's hidden creature Mew. Maybe you know, you remember this somewhat. Oh, of course. I yes. I was the tar- target demographic age for Pokemon when it came out. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. Uh, so. You might know that Mew could only be fined by supposedly exploiting program errors. Uh, yes. Yes. Or just getting a Game Shark. Well, that was later on. Um, in 1996, when you were eight years old, I suspect. I don't know. No. Maybe? That sounds right. <laughs> there was a contest to add Mew to your console, so you would send your console in, and they would add Mew to it. You couldn't actually capture it, but it would just add it to your console. This contest received 78,000 entries, and they were expecting 3,000. It was a popular game. (laughs) And also, come on, you have to give me that thing. The game is entirely patterned on addictive behavior, and you can't just be like, and you can't get the best. It's out there, but not for you. Uh, But, I mean, this is kind of the launch point, because at that point, Pokemon sales tripled. Hmm. Because of that contest. Because I would imagine it was basically just because kids were talking about it a lot at school and then other kids would hear it and then all of a sudden everyone had to have it because it's a mystery. Right. Huh. Yeah. I buy that. Um, There's one other detail I want to add about Pokemon. I guess I really like how creators sort of relate or how the public relates to a toy. And this is one of those. You know how Pokemon faint instead of dying when they're defeated? Yeah, and if you lose all your Pokemon, you black out and wake up at the hospital. Right. Um, So they faint instead of die because Satoshi Tajiri believed it's unhealthy for children to equate death with losing a game. That's fair. Yeah, Well, so this is something that we haven't really talked about much with toy inventors that is interesting, which is the way that the creators of the toys relate to children. I mean, clearly at this point, Satoshi Tajiri was, was... thinking about child psychology which i don't think is necessarily true with say the super soaker or god i doubt erno rubik even knows how to talk to a child (laughs) don't you see the beauty of the cube (laughs) (laughs) the simplicity of your mind is so complex (laughs) so so light and airy in form, and yet all-consuming and blank. It's everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, he starts, like, holding their head and trying to look in their ear. And... By the way, new listeners of the show might not get this joke. Erno Rubik is the inventor of the Rubik's Cube, and you can find out what a ridiculous person he is from the Erno Rubik podcast. It was, I think, like, three or four months ago. Yeah, take, take, take a step back into the archives. It's there, and it's, it's pretty great. So, interesting. Uh, I could talk about my feelings about Pokemon all day, because clearly it's deeply rooted within me. <laughs> but 
What's your mythology, Tim? So, it needs to be... I mean, so really what's happening here is it, we're sort of harnessing the power of people's nostalgia and certainly for people of uh, our generation, that nostalgia is then posted and reposted on Tumblogs um, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like, because cause we got to talking about Pokemon and I'm just like, oh yeah, I was so upset that I couldn't get a Mew. Um, so I need some, some way to make that happen or, yeah, some sort of... Uh, some way for my weird office magnet toys, which actually, incidentally, now that I think about it, could probably double as real office supplies. Yes. <laughs> and they would be magnetized, so you stick them onto a wall, you know? And and then your kid great. comes to the office, and then you're like, here, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I had a lot of fun with a lot of things that weren't toys when I was a kid. But, yeah, so I need some way for these things to have... Uh, just a strong effect on kids' development or something like that. That's a tough get. I don't know. Except, yeah, well, okay, so maybe this is it, though. You you, you make them <laughs> dual use, and that way, on Bring Your Child to Work Day, the kids have something to play with that they already recognize from the uh, poorly made first-person shooter or the uh, YouTube clips or etc. So this way... <laughs> The parents want them anyway because they're just like things they need. Right. And then the kids get to double use them. Look at this efficiency. Oh, this is functional. I like it. Yeah. And the kids can have them throughout their adulthood and they will get right. them for their kids ad infinitum. They become heirlooms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now we need to put a lot of money to making good ones. Hmm. I thought we were just, the, the point was to make things that were way cheaper than the selling price. <laughs> You know, with a lot of massaging, this might be able to turn into a product. <laughs> anyway, so look for look for space magnet office supplies on on the store shelves in the coming weeks, and then look for me in my gold mansion in the coming months. <laughs> That's so rich, and that is any any uh, closing remarks on franchises. Keep your finger on the pulse of America's children, Erno Rubik. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Doom to Fail podcast for this week. Tune in next week when we will talk about U.S. cities. And we're throwing them kind of a curveball. And maybe they can wait until next week to find out exactly what that curveball is. How does that sound? Sounds good. Awesome. Until then... I hope you have a great week. It's uh, it's July. We're you know we're really getting into the dog days of summer here. This is your weekly reminder of about what time of year it is from Tim. <laughs> hey, July, cool. All right, come in next week. We'll see you soon. Until then, Catherine Kogert over there and Tim Dobbs over here. Bye. 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 Honey, you're passing the test She sees what she wants to see